0: Well, this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue working through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As last week we worshiped the, and celebrated Christ's resurrection, uh, let's look here at Ephesians chapter 5. These last two chapters will take us a couple of months to work through, but Paul has so much to tell us about how to practically apply the gospel in our lives And to practically apply the gospel in evangelism to others. So if you're able to stand, will you please, as we read God's word, Ephesians 5, really only two verses today, verses 1 through 2. The Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. To God Almighty, we thank you for speaking to us in your word today. And we thank you, God, for all that you are directing in our lives as a church. And we also thank you, God, for showing us in your word how to stand together in times of grief and sorrow, but also in times of joy. We are to imitate your Son, Jesus Christ. We are to be Christ-like. That is not something we manufacture or fake or copy on our own. It is something, God, that you create within us as you regenerate us through the blood of your Son and through your Holy Spirit. You make us new people. Now your servant Paul is going to tell us what that looks like And I pray, God, that you would speak to us. If there's areas of our lives, Father, where we are not imitating your Son, I pray that your word would reveal that to us and that we would listen humbly and reverently and then apply that accordingly. Speak to us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I think the idea that we take a bath every day is a good thing, don't you? Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I remember as a child, uh, there was a TV show called The Waltons. Y'all remember that? And the, the, the TV show Waltons showed me for the first time that there was a time in our American culture where Saturday night was when you took a bath whether you needed it or not. Right, That was the phrase. You, you would get in that tub on Saturday night once a week and take a bath whether you needed it or not because Sunday morning was church day. Now obviously in that phrase whether you needed it or not of course by Saturday night after working for six days in the fields you needed a bath by Saturday night hopefully. Uh, I don't know that people in, in previous generations bathed only once a week hopefully they bathed more than that but Still, you know, you would do that. I know when you read back in, in, uh, in, in European history, uh, you, in the wintertime especially, you did not bathe until the spring because if you bathed in the wintertime, it was so cold, you might die. I mean, I think there, there are some historical records of that. And some of the traditions that we have in weddings where the bride is carrying a bouquet, you know why they do that? It's, it's not because it's beautiful. It's because the bride may not have had her spring bath yet and you wanted to mask the body odor. Literally. I mean, there, there is some truth to that tradition. I think what Paul is telling us here in the first two verses of chapter 5, and continuing on through the end of his letter, he's showing the Christians in Ephesus that there is a particular expectation of the church, and that is to imitate God and to walk in love as Christ loved us. And in so doing that, we actually express a fragrance that is pleasant to God and to others around us. Amen? And I think what we can see here in what Paul is telling us is that there is something that, that we are to look to to be like. The life of the Christian is not what we make it. It is what we model through Christ. And Paul's words here are words of exhortation and words of command. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's not a suggestion. It's not a pretty please. It is a, He's setting out the, the parameters of the Christian life. It's important that we see here in chapter 5 that... The first verse of chapter 5 actually kind of continues what chapter 4 verse 1 said. If you go flip back, chapter 4 verse 1, Paul talks about the unity in the body of Christ. And he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he continues to speak about humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with each other in love. Chapter 5, verse 1, continues this concept of walking in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us. Paul, in the, at the end of his uh, letter to the Ephesians, is putting into practice. This is practical Christianity. And we have to remember that we do not jump to the end of Ephesians to begin working as Christians without looking at the first three chapters where Paul lays down very clearly what it means to be a Christian and the cost that it uh, that was paid for him and the grace poured out on us and the mystery in all of this gospel revelation, this gospel of grace that God himself began in the very earliest days of history. All of that leads up to this point. We are to be like Christ not as something that we do as a checkoff list or we buy a self-help book or we, we just put on the facade. We are to be made new in Christ as God Himself designs and causes through His Spirit and through His Son. If that is us if we have been washed clean of our sin, if we have been regenerated and made new as people, then Paul is saying this is what that looks like. Be imitators of God as beloved children. I don't know about you, but how many of our kids imitate us? The good and the bad. Amen? Can we say that, parents? Yeah? We want our children to be good, But then when they do what we do, we look at them and say, where did they learn that? Guess where they learned it? (laughs) Mama and daddy, we've probably said it. We've probably done it without thinking. And our children see our sin and they are going to model that too. Amen. But Paul's image. allegory here is Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. God himself is our Father. That's the language that Jesus uses. It's the language that Paul uses. For those who are called by God and called to repentance and regenerated and made new, we are then now children of God. Please do not mistake this, that all of of humanity are God's children. No, they're not. All of humanity are created by God in His image, but that does not mean that all of humanity are His children. It is only through the regeneration, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and the calling and the purging of sin through the Holy Spirit, that we then are called beloved children of God. Amen? That's very specific. Be imitators of God, His beloved children. If we are His beloved children, we're going to imitate Him because He's our Father. If you, if you have a loving Father like God is, you are going to want to be like Him. He loves us, and we want to return that love by imitating Him. Amen? But that requires that God's children, His church, the, 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 those who are Christians... You have to be able to know God and be around God and and see God and, and be intimate with Him in order to know what to imitate. Amen? What does it mean to imitate? Literally, to imitate means to copy something. Now... The emphasis here on imitating is that we, we are not gods ourselves. We are imitating God as if we were like God, not as we are God. That's, don't, don't mistake that. Be imitators of God. What does it mean to imitate? We do it all the time. Children parrot us. But even in our culture, how many people imitate what they see in media and, and what is expected in the culture? Why is, it, why is it such a moneymaker for things like Instagram influencers? Why is it such a, a moneymaker when we watch marketing and advertising? It's because the advertisers are trying to get you to imitate what they are showing you that you're supposed to be like. Right? How many of us have bought something we really didn't need because we wanted to be like the ad? We wanted to be like the video. We want to be like some celebrity. There's something powerful in that desire to be like someone else that's part of our human nature. It's because God himself has created us in his image and that desire to imitate is something that God places in us. But what do we imitate instead? We imitate each other. We imitate whatever we want to be. See, people think it's, oh, I'm just being me. No, you're not. You're not being you. None of us are us. We are imitating something somewhere all the time. Look at the clothes that you're wearing. Look at the fashion that we choose. We don't make our own clothes anymore. We are wearing what society says is fashionable. We are imitating the expectation of the norm. Our hairstyles. Everything that we do, we're imitating something, whether it's the culture, whether it's the media, because it's part of who God has made us to be. We want to copy something. And I think the language that Paul is using here is very appropriate. Imitate God as beloved children do. Amen? There is something about imitating because there is is this... Transcendent truth, whether you're a Christian or not, all human beings, because we're made in God's image, understand that there is something called truth and goodness and beauty that is beyond us that we're always drawn to, and we want to imitate that which is beautiful, and we want to imitate that which is good, and we want to imitate that which is true, and those are. Those are concepts that transcend everything. And whether we realize it or not, we're desiring it and we're trying to find it. No matter how good we think we are, deep down inside of us, we're trying to imitate the ideal good. And who is good? None but God. We are trying to imitate him, whether we are Christians or not. But if we are made in the image of Christ, we then know exactly what is good. We know exactly what is true. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. That's who we imitate. Now, it's interesting here that uh, later on in chapter, or actually back up in chapter 4, when, when we're looking here at chapter 5, verse 1, we have to go to the previous verses at the end of chapter 4 to kind of set the tone here. Look here at chapter 4, verse 30. Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32 is important. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see there in verse 32, Paul is, is... kind of tying up the argument that he introduces in verses 30 and 31. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and don't be bitter. Instead, imitate Christ. Be kind to one another just as God forgave you in Christ. How many of us are holding a grudge this morning? Is there someone that you have bitterness toward? Is there someone who has offended you that you have just said, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with them anymore? How about in your own family? Is there some tension in your family that instead of dealing with it, you're just overlooking it? Is there something going on at work that you're just not dealing with? You're just over you're you're not even forgiving it. You're just putting it under the side. We are to imitate Christ. As God forgives us in Christ, we're to forgive others. That kind of sets the tone here. You see in verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore, that's really verse 5 is kind of the conclusion to what Paul begins in chapter 4. Whenever you see the word therefore, that's a key word to a conclusion of an idea. (laughs) When you see that in Scripture and you missed what came before it, Pause, go back and read what is being said before you get to the therefore. You're kind of following the path here of what God is trying to get you to see. Therefore, here's the here's the here's the conclusion. Be imitators of God. You see, Christians must imitate God in the way that we live. Right? Is your everyday life copying and mirroring God's love? And I think that's the key. If we say, well, what does that look like, Pastor? What does it look like to imitate God? It all boils down to His love for us through Jesus Christ. Are we imitating the love that God has already shown us through His Son? That's what we're looking for. How do we imitate God? We love, first of all, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. We sang that song today. And then what's the second part of that that Jesus tells us? And love your neighbor as yourself. That is the dual love uh, command of love. The first part comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The second part comes from Leviticus chapter 19. None of it's new. That's what we imitate. We imitate God's love for us in that He forgave us through the blood of His Son. Now, if we are in Christ, we understand that firsthand. We understand how that love is poured out. We understand what it feels like to be forgiven. Then we do the same for each other and for our neighbors. You see, Christians cannot copy God's supernatural acts. It's impossible for us to actually be God. Right? Think about it. What does God do? God creates all things. God sustains all that he has created. Can we do that? Can we actually cause someone who is dead to come up out of the grave like God did? No. We can't imitate his supernatural traits. We cannot copy and imitate God's supernatural characteristics. But we can and must treat others the way that God has treated us. And that's the emphasis here in chapter 5. In verse 2, when we see that Paul says to walk in love, what does that mean, to walk in love? I don't know about you, but whenever you're walking through the park or you're walking through the store or you're walking to church or you're walking anywhere with your children, what are they doing? Are they walking with you? Hopefully. <laughs> I, I, really, I really do not envy you young families who have multiple children. I, I really honor I mean I really honor you in the fact that you're able to corral them the way you do. I mean I only had uh, we only had the two boys, right in their youngest years, you know we had the one each. and so it was easy. If, he, if, if Logan started running away, I always knew where he went. I t- you know you children, you know them so well. Whenever they go somewhere, they're, they're creatures of habit. At church, whenever Logan would run away from me when he was like two and three years old and I couldn't find him in the church building, everybody would say, where's Logan? You've lost him. I know exactly where he's at. And I'd go exactly to the same point every time. He was always at the water fountain. Every single time. But other times, he walked with me. He walked behind me. He walked beside me. Is that the way that God the Father does that with us? Are we walking with him as children do? And when children are walking with their parents, what are they trying? They're trying to copy the footsteps that you're in, whether you realize it or not. This walking in love in verse 2 is exactly what we're to do. God, through his son Jesus Christ, has shown us what love is, and we walk in that same manner. We imitate and we copy that love. What has Christ done? Christ has, in verse 2, we, we, we uh, walk in love as Christ loved us. And how did Christ love us? He gave himself up for us. How many of us are willing to sacrifice that way? If something comes into our lives that we did not plan, did not expect, and really do not want to do, is that a sign that God is trying to wake us up and get us out of our comfort zone and said, this is the way to walk in love Christ did something that none of us would do. In his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that Christ not only prayed for us, he also prayed for himself. Dear God, please, if it's possible, don't let me do this. We know that from Scripture. But Jesus lays down on that cross willingly, even though he did not want to do it, he still willingly did it. It was a both and. He, his will conformed 100% to what God the Father's will was. And he lies down on that cross. So we walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. The problem is we as modern Christians who are so focused on many of the things for our own desires and our own satisfaction... If something comes in our way that God wants us to do, we don't want to walk that way. We don't want to walk as Christ does because that, that will, that, that's just too difficult. God does send things to us from time to time and often that breaks us out of our comfort zone. If that means loving the way Christ does, that's what that means. We may not will it, but God will change our will to be in alignment with it and we walk the way Christ does to the point of sacrifice if necessary. How many of us have too many other things to do instead of for ourselves or for our own desires rather than sacrificing that for the desires of others? See where we are? This is what Christ did. Here is what uh, one, uh, one great thinker by the name of Erasmus Sarcarius says. He says this, The true and right way to love is this, We must not love according to circumstance, but as God the Father loves. He allows the sun to rise on the good and the bad, and Christ has died for us all. That's an an important idea here. Think about this. God the Father, in His supernatural power, allows the sun to rise on those who are good, and He allows the sun to rise on those who are not. Now, if it's up to you and me, if there was somebody who was bad, you don't get sunlight today. No, you've not earned it. But God in his love still allows the bad to breathe, to live, to wake up for a new day, even if they hate him and reject him. Never ponder that? Now, you and I cannot imitate the rising of the sun as God does. He's in control of that. But can we still love others and pour the light of Christ on others, whether they deserve it or not? That's how we imitate Christ. You see, the idea of love here in verse 2 is this agape love. But in its context, we have to understand that love, this agape love, can have two meanings, really. And and when you look at the scriptures, depending on the context of the word agape is exactly how we define it and translate it. The Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Greek that the church used for many, many centuries in the medieval period, actually took this Greek word agape and translated it in two different Latin words depending on the usage of the love in that context. The first one is the word uh, caritas, which is the word that we get charity from now, to be charitable towards somebody else. Like this, this would be Christ's charity toward us in dying on the cross, the other way to translate agape here is, is the word delectionis, which is the love of neighbor. In this context, the word agape in Ephesians 5 verse 2, when you look at the Latin Vulgate, it actually is using the word delectionis, which means this love is this love for others, this love for neighbor, this practical aspect of love that is poured out upon each other. Are you willing to love your neighbor even though your neighbor's dog is keeping you awake all night long? Are you willing to love your neighbor even though they won't give you the time of day and whenever you see them in the driveway, they they really just make foul gestures at you and say things about you and gossip about you? You see, God's love pours out on all people whether they love Him or not. Jesus Christ pours out his love on us, whether we want it or not. I think this is part of what Paul's talking about. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. That's how we walk. We love our neighbors, both good and bad, just as Christ loved us, both good and bad. Now, here's the other part here that we're going to uh, transition here. See, love here is actually crucial to one's knowability. How do you know someone if you don't love them? Husbands, how can you know your wife if you do not love her? Likewise, wives, how can you know your husbands if you do not know him? What about your children? How, I mean, how do you even know, know your children unless you love them? How do your children know you as the parents unless they know you? And this is more than just an acquaintance. This involves intimate knowability. How do we get to know people without love? It's impossible. And so for Christ, he loved us in order that we might love in return. And therefore, Christ's knowability, and other words, the ability to know Christ is tied solely into this idea of love. The way that we know God is tied intimately into this idea of love. It's the only way that we can know Him. It's important. It's crucial. Now, in verse 2 here, Paul closes out with this idea of a fragrance. As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A clear Uh, Reference to the Old Testament law about the different types of offerings and the incense that was burned. When God smelled the offerings, it was a fragrant uh, pleasure to Him. See, Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering. Think about this. Is, Is your life... Your attitude toward your neighbor? Is your attitude toward your family, toward your coworkers, toward people you know? Is that a fragrant offering or is it something that stinks? Ponder that. Just as Christ sacrificed himself and poured out his love upon us, it was a sweet fragrance to the Father. Is your life as a Christian are our lives as Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, is it a sweet fragrance to those around us or is it something that stinks? You know, it's easy for us as parents to think of of our children and their stinking thinking and their stinking attitudes and their stinking behavior. Whenever our children act ugly, we have this idea, you, you don't smell very nice to me right now because you're ugly. And we try to change them and direct them and... And sometimes our children don't respond very well because they don't think it's fair. But why is it that, that the relationship there is in tension between the parent and the child? Is because the behavior is not fragrant. And are we trying to hopefully d- direct our children into an attitude and a behavior of sweet fragrance? Same thing with our relationships with each other and our marriages and our relationships with each other in the church. Are our relationships... Reflecting a love for each other that is fragrant? Or is the relationship ugly and stinking? You see, Paul here is pointing out that Christ's love for us was a, a sacrifice of a fragrant offering to God. And any sacrifice that God does not receive as a fragrant offering, we see that in the Old Testament as well. He really condemns the sacrifices of the, of the priest's who were not following his law and did not care for him. And, and whenever we see in the Old Testament when Israel would incorporate the pagan worship of their neighbors into the sacrifices of God, God said, I'm not accepting that sacrifice. It is not fragrant to me. You have polluted it with the pagans. What are we allowing in our lives that is causing our life of sacrifice to be a polluted sacrifice before God? are we keeping our lives in in an attitude of love and honor to God, focused on His Word, focused on His love? Or are we allowing things from the world to creep in and, and infiltrate and pollute that love and where God looks on our lives and says, your sacrifice is not fragrant? Are we doing that with each other? Are we doing that in our lives? Are we doing that in our relationships? This is what Paul's talking about here. Again, this is not something we make do on our own. This is something that is only possible through the regeneration of Jesus Christ as God forgives us in Christ and Christ's love and sacrifice for us is that method of forgiveness. We reflect the same as God's people. That's what Paul's emphasizing here. You see, Christ is not just set out as our example here, but, God, but Jesus Christ is a gift given to us by the Father in payment for our sins. Jesus is not just this example that we look at. He is the sacrifice for us. That's more than just a mere example that we imitate. That's, that's a reality that we become. So this imitation that Paul is talking about in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God, he's using the language of imitation, but when he talk about Christ and His love for us and that fragrant sacrifice, it's more than just copying, it's becoming. Our imitation here actually is that we become Christ-like, and it's more than just a surfacey thing. So imitation here goes deeper than just reflecting something. It's becoming something. This fragrant offering refers 100% to the grace of Christ. This fragrant offering, there's nothing else, there's no other words that can adequately express it. This fragrant offering is the sacrifice of Christ that, we, that we've remembered here in the last couple of weeks as we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. That's a fragrance that we cannot imitate on our own. This grace through Christ is the only thing adequate to express the effective and successful death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection was so potent to sin, it became something that overwhelms us. And overwhelms the ugliness in our lives. This fragrance that Paul uses and speaks about, it means that it is something that just doesn't mask the stink. It is so potent that it eliminates it. Amen? I don't want to use, I don't want to weaken the uh, imagery here, but what does Febreze do? The product Febreze, it's supposed to eliminate the odor, not just mask it. I don't know how true that is. Do we want to just mask the ugliness or do we want to replace it with something that's fragrant? That's what Jesus did. And that's possible in our lives as Christians. Amen? Amen. I don't know, what, I don't know if this message actually matters to many of us today, but I think it does. I hope that what God has said to us in His Word really just resonates deeply. When we leave here, depart, and go into our lives this week and our busyness, I pray that the words here will go with us. Maybe on Tuesday or Thursday. Maybe something happens in your week that you say, Ah, wait a minute, I'm supposed to imitate Christ. I hope that wakes us up and we, we, we express a fragrance that is so sweet to the world around us that they can't avoid it. They said that's not something that's just a cover-up. That's the real deal. Let the fragrance of Christ so permeate from us that it's not just a spray can, and aerosol mist. It is something that oozes from us. Amen? That's my prayer for us. Let me close us in prayer. Father God, we thank you again for your word. And I pray, dear God, that we don't just try to mimic on our own powers something that looks like your son Jesus. I pray, God, that we would actually be changed and made new in Christ and that we reflect the true nature of your gospel. This is impossible, Lord, apart from the sacrifice of your son. And I pray, God, that whoever hears these words, if they know your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would use this text to strengthen their love for you and for each other. I pray, God, that those who hear these words who do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, who have not smelled the sweet fragrance of His grace, I pray, God, that you would work in them through your Spirit and call them to salvation and change them. Help us as a church, Father, to be your people. Help us to do what needs to be done, but do it in a way that is loving and sacrificial, just as your Son sacrificed for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.